Good afternoon. This is Jordan Greenhouse, Client Portfolio Manager with Kane Anderson Rudnick in Los Angeles, California. Today we're going to be hearing from Doug Foreman, Chief Investment Officer at Kane Anderson Rudnick, who are reviewing the third quarter 2018 market review. Doug, first and foremost, thanks for setting aside the time today. Would you start by reviewing some of the key drivers during the third quarter of 2018 with us? Well, the first and most important key driver is always corporate earnings. And what you saw in the second quarter was that corporate profitability uh, was very strong, uh, one of the strongest quarters we've had in a very long time in the U.S. Uh, many companies did extremely well. Uh, they're benefiting from tax reform and the improved cash flow that comes from tax reform. And they're benefiting from a very strong quarter. GDP ended up being uh, slightly reported over 4%, which was also very strong for the quarter. So domestically, um, business was very, very strong during the quarter. Um, however, what we saw was continued weakness in Europe and uh, emerging weakness in emerging markets. So unlike the beginning of the year when many of the markets around the world were in sync, all growing at a pretty good rate, the US, Germany, Japan, emerging markets, China, etc., cetera, uh, what we saw in the third quarter was a divergence where many of the emerging markets started to slow down, particularly China, um, and this has had an impact on emerging market stock prices, which have declined pretty materially during the course of the third quarter. And then we also saw some uh, weakness in Europe um, on the margin, not quite as strong as what we had thought. So the global synchronized recovery that sort of began uh, the year and was a common in a Wall Street strategist theme at the beginning of the year has sort of been uh, uh, put on hiatus and hold here, obviously, with a lot of divergences in economic growth around the world that we're seeing now, primarily related to tariff and trade talk uh, and the concerns that, that many businesses have that are operating abroad uh, due to the escalation of these uh, tariffs during the course of the third quarter. Thank you for that answer, Doug. And looking at the market right now, there appear to be heightened tensions related to the perceived tariff wars between China and the United States. What concerns do you have related to this? Well, ironically, you know, NAFTA seemed to have been resolved during the course of the third quarter. We've reached an agreement with uh, Mexico and Canada. Um, but some of the trade issues with the Europeans seem to have improved a little bit during the course of the quarter, uh, including the automobile tariff uh, situation. But China definitely got worse during the course of the third quarter. Uh, we were hopeful that we could reach a resolution of these issues before the midterm elections. That seems highly unlikely, almost impossible at this point in time, and probably won't reach resolution by year end. There's a lot of sticky issues, and the Trump administration has basically chosen to make China uh, the, the whipping child for a lot of trade issues here. And so uh, it, it's, it's appearing to escalate. Uh, there's a new round of tariffs that have been in, uh, imposed uh, on $250 billion worth of goods, a 10% tariff. That's threatening to escalate to 25% at year end if, uh, if um, uh, an agreement isn't reached before then. And this is definitely having an impact on Chinese industrial companies and Chinese exporters and Chinese economy, which is having an impact obviously on emerging markets, as I mentioned earlier. So the continued escalation here uh, could result in a um, material dislocation of business in both China and increasingly in the U.S. if this persists over a longer period of time. So I don't particularly have any insight as to when this is going to get resolved, uh, but I do believe at the end of the day that both countries recognize that a trade war between the two of us doesn't make a lot of sense for either one of us. 
at the at the end of the day. So, so at some point, I hope uh, over the next year that these issues will be resolved. Coming out of 2017, there were a great deal of excitement surrounding the investment opportunities overseas for both the developed as well as the emerging markets. However, just having completed the third quarter, we are seeing some continued struggles in these markets. What are your thoughts about investments in the foreign markets moving forward, and how are you recommending clients position their portfolios? Well, you sort of have to go around the world and look at these different markets, and and they're all obviously a little bit different. And, you know, what you've seen, you know, I'll cover Europe first. I think Europe is, you know, secularly challenged. Uh, There isn't a lot of great businesses in Europe overall, in my opinion. And there isn't a lot of technology in particular in Europe. uh, And the world is becoming more and more digital. And European technology presence is really minimal uh, in in the index and and in the number of companies that are globally competitive uh, themselves. There's companies like Arm Holdings, which is a good semiconductor company, and SAP, which is a decent uh, software company in Germany, but really they're few and far between. So long term, you know, I think that Europe is challenged um, cyclically and valuation-wise is fairly cheap today. Uh, there are not high expectations for it going forward, so then it's had a terrible uh, year in terms of performance, both in the stock market and economic performance, really not living up to what people thought it was going to do at the beginning of the year. So long term, I'm not a big fan of Europe, but cyclically, short term, I do think there's some opportunities in the area. I think the European bank stocks have gotten exceptionally cheap, and that is an area that uh, makes some sense to take some exposure to in a global diversified portfolio. Um, Japan is doing better than it has in the last 30 years, uh, but still, um, once again, not a super competitive market overall on the global scene, very um, homogenous and very um, parochial in terms of uh, their presence, uh, with the exception of a few large automobile companies and exporters uh, in the Japanese economy. Japan's doing okay, I would say, overall. And then when you get to emerging markets, uh, there's obviously some uh, poorly positioned countries today that are having problems like Argentina and Turkey, but they're really mild and small in the grand scheme of things and not enough to really influence uh, even emerging markets in a big way. China, however, is, and China is a very large economy, and China is clearly decelerating and uh, likely to come under more pressure if these trade and tariffs concerns continue to escalate and the tariffs continue to mount. It, it will have an impact on China and we will see a slowdown. Uh, that being said, many Chinese stocks and, and many of the internet companies that are in China are exceptionally well positioned long term and are very globally competitive, uh, not just in their own markets, but around the globe. And so these stock prices have come in enough that many of them are starting to look attractive for long term investment, albeit with some short term risks, which are still likely to, pers- to, to, to continue for a while. But the prices in the stocks are starting to pay you to take that risk. The last question I have relates to fixed income. We are noticing that the long end of the curve still does not seem to be reacting to the Fed's rate hikes. Can you talk through why this might be happening and also whether you have any concerns related to the fixed income market environment? Well, the yield curve and the shape of the yield curve, as I've talked about with clients for the last couple of years, has been concerning because uh, as of a couple of weeks ago, at the end of the third quarter, we had eight short-term rate increases in the 30-year bond was lower at 3% than it was five years ago before the Fed started raising rates eight times. So when people talk about interest rates going up, they really need to talk about what interest rates, short-term rates, medium-term, long-term rates. 
Short-term rates have gone up a lot. Obviously, they've gone from zero to two, two and a quarter over the last couple of years when the Fed's embarked on this rate cycle hike. But the long end has not been responding to it. And I think there's a few reasons for it. Number one, um, you know, a lot of the a lot of the economic activity that we're seeing today, one can argue, and I don't believe it, but I mean, there's certainly some element of truth to it, but I don't believe it in a wholeheartedly, is that the entire improvement in corporate profitability has been driven by tax reform alone and improved cash flow. Um, that's not really true because if you look at the companies, the revenue growth in the second quarter was very strong as well. So, and that's not tax reform driven for the most part. So I think that you know the long end has been looking at longer term inflation and you had the Fed trying to get inflation up to its 2% target for well over nine to 10 years. Uh, we finally have gotten there. So now the Fed's slightly, uh, or inflation's running slightly over 2%, but it's still relatively well-maintained. Uh, well Wage growth is still relatively well-maintained at a you know, sub 3% level. Um, with this level of unemployment, you would expect to see wage growth in the four to four and a half percent range. We're not seeing that. And I think it's because of global competition that's still very much alive. There's still uh, tremendous competition in a variety of industries out there. And we see it every day in the U.S. and it's not going away and it hasn't gone away and I don't think it will go away. So wages have been relatively well maintained, which obviously is a big component of costs. Um, raw material costs have gone up, freight costs have gone up, so there are some areas of strength in terms of input costs being higher than most industrial companies would like to see in the price of steel and aluminum, largely driven by tariffs. Uh, we've seen freight costs because of the shortage of transportation, uh, truck drivers, etc., has driven freight costs up for the most part. So, so what's happened is, you know, you, you've seen an increase in, uh, in some areas in terms of costs, but overall, the long end is reacting to the fact that after lots of stimulation, years of monetary policy being extremely loose, rates at zero, you still have very, very modest levels of inflation. And I think that's why the long end hasn't reacted. So our principal concern has been the impossible inversion of the yield curve. The yield curve, as I mentioned earlier, has been flattening steadily for the last several years. Um, and now we're in a position, uh, that, and now what we've seen with a couple of uh, data points like ISM non-manufacturing came in very strong earlier uh, in October. So since the end of the quarter, the yields have risen slightly at both at the 10-year and the 30-year. Finally, it's gone from this, call it 3% range up to 340, which is a fairly large move in the bond market. And now people are concerned with rates being too high. Uh, I find it somewhat ironic that the whole world has sort of changed its viewpoint in five days. Uh, it doesn't really look uh, work like that, I don't believe. Um, but the, the risk of an inversion now actually seems to be receding, which is causing some short-term weakness in stock prices. And I would argue that if you give us a choice between a possible inversion of the curve and yields being higher because of strong economic growth, we'll take yields being higher because of strong economic growth every time over an inverted yield curve. It's much better for equity prices over any reasonable time period. KaneCast is the official podcast series of Kane Anderson Rudnick Investment Management. Kane Anderson Rudnick provides this communication as a matter of general information. The opinions stated herein are those of the speakers and not necessarily the opinions of Kane Anderson Rudnick or its affiliates. Portfolio managers at Kane Anderson Rudnick make investment decisions in accordance with specific guidelines and restrictions. As a result, client accounts may differ in strategy and composition from the information presented herein.
Any facts and statistics quoted are from the sources believed to be reliable, but they may be incomplete or condensed, and we do not guarantee their accuracy. This communication is not an offer or solicitation to purchase or sell any security and is not in the research report. Individuals should consult with a qualified financial professional before making any investment decisions.